Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. Stay tuned today for an important invitation from Leslie. But for now, here is today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome, I'm Julie Sedanko here with relationship expert Leslie Vernick. And today we're talking about financial abuse. Leslie, this is a big deal in a lot of homes. And I think a lot of times it's because of this patriarchal system that we have where we think men should somehow be in charge. So they may not even recognize financial abuse when it's happening. So can you give us maybe a definition of financial abuse and maybe some examples of how that manifests itself in a relationship. Yeah, well, I think that financial abuse can occur in lots of different ways, but I would say the primary way that we see it in our population, women who are married to men who are secretive or very selfish or destructive in some other ways, is that she has no access to the money as a joint partner in the marriage. So there may be plenty of money somewhere, but she doesn't have access or control over any of it. So that would fit with your definition of a patriarchal, like he's in charge and he decides and he gives me an allowance, sort of like you're being treated as one of the kids versus an equal partner. Um, I think a lot of couples, certainly any healthy couple would decide together how they're going to manage their money, how they're going to manage their kids, how they're going to manage their house, how they're going to manage their life. These are decisions that you make when you and I become a we. You know, so I'm a, I'm a me and you're a you and we become a we. That doesn't mean I don't stop being an I and you don't stop being a you, but we become a we. And so we, we are stronger together in a healthy relationship. We make, you know, ourselves and each other better by being together. So we share ideas and we share strategies and we share solutions. It's not just one person decides everything and the other person just complies, which might be fine for a person who's married to a kind, generous, altruistic person, but someone who's married to someone who is more bent toward narcissism, prideful, self-centeredness, and deceit, um, it's disaster. What if the woman doesn't contribute financially to the relationship? Does that mean that the husband should have more control in what happens financially? You know, I think that's a really interesting question because I think, again, if you have a healthy relationship, you may, as a couple, decide how you're going to allocate your resources. So I think of three resources that everybody everybody has. We have our time, we have our talents, we have our energy, and we have our money. And so in most families, someone, if not both people, have to contribute time and energy in order to put something into the money pile, right? And hopefully you do that with the talents that you have. So you're putting your time, you're working eight hours a day or 40 hours a week um, to put in the money pile so that the money is you know, used for family needs. So sometimes a couple might decide, wow, we've got children. So how are we going to use our resources? So maybe instead of both of us putting our time and energy into the putting money into the money pot, maybe you're going to put your time and energy creating money for the money pot. And I'm going to use my time and energy to care for our house and our children. Because if I don't, and I go to work and put money in the money pot, then we're going to have to take money out of the money pot to pay for our childcare and our household needs. Okay. It's saying we've agreed that we're both contributing to the family welfare. You're contributing to the money pot 
by using your time and energy, and I'm contributing to the childcare pot and the household management pot by not having to use our money, I'm going to use my time and energy. So I think it's a misnomer for a woman or a man to believe that she's not contributing anything. She's contributing plenty to the family welfare pot. She just may not be out earning a paycheck. And so because of that, I believe that a couple should have mutual decision-making and mutual power over those resources. Just because a mom stays home with the kids more than a husband typically doesn't mean she has all power over the children, does it? It doesn't mean that he has no decision-making power. He can't make any judgment calls about what we do with the house or what we do with the kids because that's her domain. In the same way, just because the husband might be working full-time and bringing money into the money pot doesn't mean she has no power in what we do with the money and you know, decision-making power in that. Now, it might mean that she's more knowledgeable about what needs to be done in the house because she's there all the time. She might be more knowledgeable about what's going on with the kids because she's on top of that, just like her husband might be more knowledgeable if he's taking care of the finances about what's going on with the finances and what resources we have available to redecorate or go on vacation or those kind of things. But it's a mutual discussion and a um, opportunity to learn from each other, not somebody taking charge of and controlling over another person. What if the husband doesn't contribute financially? Maybe she's bringing home the income. Maybe he's helping at home. Maybe he's not. But should he have a say in the financial management of the household if he's not bringing an income? Well, that's the same question you just asked about the woman, of course. I mean, again, in a healthy relationship, just because he's the house husband doesn't necessarily mean he's not contributing. He might be contributing a lot with childcare and household responsibilities, just like a woman who stayed home would contribute. And sometimes I have friends who who have that arrangement that she got a better job. She got a job offered in another you know, city and they decided to move as a family. And he decided to stay home with the kids for a while because to find another job and to put them in daycare was just too disruptive to the family. And so for the family's welfare, everybody sacrifices sometimes. And so this time the husband sacrificed his career to stay home. Of course he should have some say and an equal say in the money situation. Um, Just because he's not contributing financially doesn't mean he doesn't have any say. However, I think the person who should have the most influence is the person who knows the most about money. Just like if I know, like my husband, um, when we were discussing things, I know nothing about certain things like technology or directions on things and, you know, how to put together something. I'm not going to equally contribute or even feel I should equally contribute when I know nothing about a subject. And on the other hand, it's not that he knew nothing about parenting or those kind of things he did, but but he trusted that I knew more. I was a counselor. I was trained in a lot of things. I, I knew more about the psychology of things and what our kids might be up to. And he was respectful of my knowledge base. And so I think when you have a healthy marriage, you contribute to each other's knowledge base, but somebody might have more knowledge or more awareness or more skill in a certain area, whether it's household stuff, parenting, or money management. And I'm not saying it's the man who has that skill. It might be the woman who has some of those skills, but that doesn't mean that the other person has no voice or choice. It was getting cold out here and I was uh, trying to turn on the gas fireplaces and they wouldn't light and the pilot lights needed to be lit. And I started to try. And then I just realized I am going to blow up this house. And so I just waited till the next day when he was home and he did it and uh, we're we're all here and alive. So I know what you mean. There's just some things that we each have talents in, but what if you're trying to work together on finances and a husband does not agree on a larger purchase? 
is the wife wrong to make that purchase? And I, I asked this question because we had a recent conquer call where a woman bought some kitchen stools and they needed them. I don't remember if they, uh, the old ones are broken or whatever, but he would not sit on the stools for two years or other times if she bought something he didn't agree with, he would get rid of something that she cared about. So is it biblically correct for a wife to submit to a husband if he doesn't agree? Does she always have to go along with what he says? Let's always look at the patterns because we can't really discern what the right answer is just by looking at one incident. So if we look at the patterns of this particular marriage where the woman bought the stools, I imagine the patterns are that he wouldn't let her buy lots of things over the years that she might need. The patterns are that she wasn't respected as an equal partner. She was delegated more to the role of a wife who just does what I want you to do when I want you to do it. And so her defiance might have been a good thing in the marriage to say, wait a minute, I have needs too. I have a mind too. I have money of my own. I think we need these stools. I'm going to make a decision that you don't like, but I'm going to make it. When we look at the pattern of him punishing her for making that decision, I'm not going to sit on the stools for two years. I mean, that's a childish reaction to a decision she made. So we see this pattern of control over, and that's a pattern that we want to really recognize as not headship. So I think this is where women get confused is that headship doesn't mean I get to control you that I get to decide for you. If you are an adult woman, just because you get married, you don't put your brain in a box and say, okay, now my husband gets to decide everything for me. God has put talents and gifts and abilities inside of you, and you are called by God to steward and use those and not just defer to a male who happens to be your husband. So what does headship and submission really look like? Because headship is in the Bible, submission is in the Bible, but Headship doesn't mean you get your way all the time. Headship doesn't mean biblically that you get to decide everything all the time. That's not what headship is defined at. In fact, Jesus was so concerned about his disciples misusing this concept of headship inappropriately over the church that he was going to leave behind. He used this example of all the examples he could have used. He could have said, hey, guys, watch me turn the tables over on the temple. Watch how I do headship here. I'm just going to show what's right and what's wrong. And I'm going to be the leader here of this church. And I'm going to show in my anger, this is what your headship should look. He didn't use that example. He said, this is what headship looks like. And then he took off his robe. He got a towel and he washed their dirty feet. And he said very specifically, you know, those Gentiles use their power inappropriately by ruling others and ruling over others, but not so with you. So he's very specific when he used this term headship. When you're the leader, you're to serve first. Here's my example. So when we have translated headship to mean a man gets to decide everything for everyone in the family, even if he's driving the family straight off the financial cliff, and somehow a woman is supposed to be silent and submissive and trust God for their welfare, That just makes no sense biblically, and it makes no sense practically, and it makes no sense psychologically or emotionally. And so I think it's really important for us to look at the context of submission and headship. Submission is a wonderful thing. It's a discipline that every believer is called to to in the scriptures. We're called to submit to authority. We're called to submit to one another. We're called to submit to God. 
And so, yes, wives are called to submit to husbands. Husbands are called to love their wives. And in a patriarchal culture in which those rules or those guidelines were written, we look at the culture of patriarchy. Of course, women were to submit. That's what they did. But the odd or the new thing about that passage is that husbands love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. And so Paul is really moving the needle from a oppressive type of marriage where women had no rights and no voice to, hey, you need to love this woman. She's a person. She's a gift to you. Honor her. Love her. Do not be harsh with her. Um, and so submission is a good discipline in every relationship because you don't get your way all the time. Nobody gets their way all the time. And so learning that, and it goes back and forth, submit one to another, the Bible says. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing, but headship doesn't mean he gets to make the decision. So going back to your stool example, it's a long answer to that. In this context, she's had a history of being oppressed. She's had a history of not being able to make choices. She's had a history of him controlling the finances and leaving her and the family needy of some basics, like stools around their table, just because maybe he has an issue with money, he has an issue with spending, he wants to use all the money for himself. I didn't know that part of it. She would have to discern that. But I think as a grown-up, she gets to decide, hey, our family needs some stools. I have the money to buy that, and I'm going to purchase it. And he didn't like that, and so he punished her. So those were more clues that this was a destructive relationship, not a normal, healthy relationship. What if a woman is in that situation? How does she deal with it? How does she deal with a man who's controlling? I, I talked with a woman yesterday and they're separated and he took the money, all of their money and put it in a separate account. So she has no access to it. And then he said, he'll put a thousand dollars a month into the account she has access to. And how does a woman deal with somebody who's in control like that? Well, she has to understand that she has no legal rights to do anything like that, at least as far as I know of, as long as she doesn't file for divorce. And this is a hard thing for women to, to grasp, that when you are married to someone, you have willingly entered into that covenant, that contract legally, and the state or the law doesn't want to get involved in your money. They, don't, they really don't want to be involved in your money. However, because they assume that you're going to deal with that together. But once you decide or you recognize that there's financial mismanagement going on, or there's financial oppression going on, or they've separated, but most states these days don't have a legal separation. So if you have a legal separation, then that takes care of this. But once you're separated legally and you file for divorce, that sets the teeth of the government in place to protect you against financial mismanagement, which means that assets that he might have in a bank account, an IRA, um, loans that he might take out in his name or your name, all those kind of things now are under some sort of accountability, whereas before they're not. And so this is a really huge warning bell for women. If you sense that your husband is being, not sense, if you know your husband is being financially abusive, if he's cheating on the taxes, if he's spending money inappropriately if he's leaving your family destitute and has a big bank account on the side and giving you a meager allowance to pay for the basics. I worked with a woman who was a registered nurse married to a doctor who was very financially controlling over their family and he gave her an allowance. And it wasn't a bad allowance if you look at the amount, but he would travel overseas quite a bit 
And she had no access to the money. She had no credit card, nothing. So if she ran out of that money or had an emergency, she would be in trouble. Now, this is an educated woman. She was certainly capable of holding a job. They decided that she would be home with the kids while they were young. She was going to homeschool them. And yet he was so financially controlling. He could take every single dime he made and he could put it in an offshore account. He could put it in a separate account. He could completely hide it, give it away spend it on gambling, and she would have absolutely no say in that because the law doesn't get involved in family finances until either you do something illegal, like file wrong taxes, or you file for divorce because then the law says, okay, now you have rights as a divorcee to half your assets. Well, that starts counting the assets then. If he spent all the assets before you file for divorce, you don't get half. You can't even find them. I worked with a woman whose husband had taken out a home equity loan. She thought for sure they didn't have a lot of money in the bank. They had put their kids through college, but she thought for sure their house would sell. It was a over a million dollar home. It was a beautiful home. He was an executive. She didn't have any access to the money. And so she thought, well, he's hid all the money. But I, you know, when I once I file for divorce, you know, the house will be at least I'll get half the money for the house. Unbeknownst to her, he had put all kinds of home equity loans on the house and the house was worthless because she was jointly responsible for all the home equity loans and she got no assets out of the sale of the house because they had to pay back all the home equity loans and she had to pay half of those. And so this is really important for women. If you sense that you're in an abusive financial situation, the very first thing you do is not file for divorce, but the very first thing that you do is consult with an attorney, someone who's knowledgeable about the financial laws in your state regarding marital assets and what do you need to do to protect yourself? Sounds I think really that's scary. <laughs> a little bit it is. And I think this goes to churches who, who um, say things like, well, we'll support a separation, but we won't support a divorce. You can just stay separated for the rest of your life. And to those churches, I would say to them, well, I understand your biblical position that, you know, you don't want them to get divorced, but are you willing to support her if he spends all the assets while she's separated? Are you willing to support her by paying for medical insurance, by paying for an apartment, by paying for her medical bills, by paying for her retirement assets that are gone now because you told her to not file for divorce, just live separately. And she's supposed to be okay with that. And her husband's off doing what he's doing and spending all their joint assets. And she has no control over that. So you're willing to pay all of her bills when she runs out of money or he doesn't give her any more? Well, no, we can't do that. Well, then you're asking her to do something, but you're not giving her any permission to be legally and financially responsible for herself by going to the place that God has given her, the law, to protect her. In Romans 13, it says that God has given us the secular authorities to protect us against evildoers. And so when we go to the law, even civil law, to say, hey, I see that you're, I see in our whole marriage, you're not fair financially. I see in our whole marriage that you're greedy or you're selfish or you're not honest. I can't trust you in these areas to be that way. So I'm going to have to file in order to put the law on my side for fairness. Not that I get more than you, but at least I get my half. Quick question. Has life gone the way you expected? The way you wanted? Life is challenging for everyone. Sometimes, though, handling the hard times feels impossible. It's like you're going from one breakdown to the next. If this is you, do yourself a favor and mark your calendar for December 5th. Leslie is offering a free workshop on moving from breakdown to breakthrough. 
This isn't about denying reality, it's about learning to think and live differently. No matter what's happening, you do have choices. Go to leslievernick.com forward slash story to sign up for this important workshop. That's leslievernick.com forward slash story. So if a woman isn't ready to maybe file for divorce, but she's in a financially abusive situation, what is your advice to her? How does she work with somebody who's like this? I mean, I guess, I don't know if you can, but. Well, I think the first thing that she needs to do is just consult with an attorney to find out what papers she needs to get. In our membership group, Conquer, we have lots of instructions on what things a woman should do. But the, the very first thing she should do is find out whatever information she can find out. So where are her taxes? Can she get paper copies of her, you know, 2022 taxes, 2023 taxes, 2020 tax. Can she get copies of her last five years of tax reports? Can she bring those to a forensic accountant to make sure that they're, they've been filed accurately and the assets that you have as a family are on there? Because usually the taxes have what you have in savings, what interest you made, all those kind of things, what income he makes. So you have some legal proof of his last five years of earning because he might just quit his job and decide not to work. And then you get no financial support, those kind of things. So get copies of your tax returns, make sure that they were filed properly because if they weren't and your husband is, for example, is self-employed and he hasn't paid his taxes, guess what? You are also required to be responsible for that. And they do have a little window called the innocent spouse rule that if you had no idea what was going on, you can file for that and then not be responsible, but you can't know about it for a couple of years and not tell. So it requires telling on your husband that he's not being honest so that you can get out of having to pay, um, which I've had a woman had to pay $100,000 after divorce to the IRS because her husband hadn't filed taxes for years and years and years. And she signed the papers um, and then he forged her signature on an e, you know, e-signing. She could, he could just put her signature on there and she had no idea. And sometimes we just want to trust our husband. We don't want to mess with any of that. And I don't mess with any of it. I totally understand that. But if I had to know what was going on, my husband would have no problem just showing me everything, give me the records. There's no secrecy. So it's not that you have to know everything that's going on, but you have to trust the person who's doing the taxes, that they're being honest. And if you have a history of your husband being financially deceptive, he's probably not just being that way with you. He might be being that way with the IRS as well. And if he gets caught, you will be equally responsible. So get your tax returns in order. Um, see what your bank accounts, if you get access, get access to your bank accounts and look what's in there, see what's going on in there. Look at your credit report, see if there's credit cards in your name that you didn't even know about. Um, if you have a social security number, you can look at his credit report. Um, and those will give you some information of if what he's telling you the status of affairs are is true, or if there's a whole boatload of stuff that you're finding out that you didn't know about, and that will help you to make your next right choice. You mentioned earlier about a woman receiving an allowance. Is this a biblical thing or is that financial abuse? I think it's totally appropriate for a family starting out or a family that's been married for a long time to have spending limits that they both agree to, that they might say something like, hey, I won't spend $100 without checking in with you, or I won't buy something big without checking in with you, or hey... We have a limited budget, so you get $50 and I get $50 a week or month for, you know, hair stuff and extras. I think that's totally doable as long as 
what's good for Peter is good for Paul. In other words, that they're both doing it, that it's not he's giving her an allowance. Like I get to spend $500 a month, but you get to spend $50 a month. I get to spend whatever I want because I'm making the money, but you have to give me a receipt for every single thing you buy. Then that's where the power over dynamic is. So if both of them say, hey, we're going to be really on a tight budget, we're going to really save money for vacation or for our daughter's wedding or whatever, or we're saving money for retirement because we didn't save enough. And we're going to be accountable and responsible to each other. And we're going to bring together every receipt that we do. When we decide that, that's fine. When you decide that for me and I have to do it and you don't have to do it, then that's an oppressive situation. What if a partner has issues following a budget, uh, overspending, whatever, how does the more responsible partner biblically handle that? Yeah, I, I think we all have issues with something. <laughs> well, it was... Amazon? <laughs> Overspending, overeating, overdrinking, you know, right. over texting and watching, you know, your social media too much. I think we're overing a lot in our culture to self-medicate. And, you know, deal with whatever we're not willing to deal with. We deal with it with distraction for sure. So I think I can't imagine being married to someone that doesn't have issues. Uh, we all have issues. So I think if you can approach it that way, um, Matthew 7 tells us to take the log out of our own eye before we attempt to remove the speck in someone else's. If we can approach it with humility, that like not what's wrong with you, but I'm concerned that what you're doing is hurting you and it's hurting us whether it's drinking too much and you know, you're not being the parent that I know you want to be, or you're eating too much and that's going to raise your cholesterol and you know, it's not good for your weight or you're spending too much and we don't have the money to spend. And we've got tons of stuff in our house that we don't need and don't use. And it's getting cluttery, whatever it is. I mean, I think if we can confront that with a sense of humility and a healthy person, a relatively healthy person who's still doing you know, sinful things or, or hurtful things will stop and listen to feedback, even if it's hard, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The Bible tells us, it tells us in Hebrews three thirteen, let us encourage one another day after day, let any one of us become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So I think when we go to our partner and say, I'm really concerned, I'm really concerned for you that something's wrong inside that you're spending so much, or you're eating so much, or you're drinking so much, you know, what, what's bothering you? Instead of, you've got to stop this, instead of trying to control what they're doing, show concern for what really is wrong. I think that's the first step. And then the second step is, is there a way I can help? Because this is this is hurting me too. You're vomiting all over the floor when you drink too much, or you're spending way too much money on wine every day. Um, this is affecting our budget. I can't spend money on the kids' tuition because I don't have it, but you just spend $300 on bottles of wine every week you know, I don't know what to do. And so helping them see the dilemma that that's their, their, whatever they're doing is putting you in. And then if they still are unresponsive, then that tells you that they're really caught. They're really addicted to whatever they're doing and they're not willing to stop. They'll start sneaking. They'll start hiding. They'll start lying. They'll start doing whatever they need to do. And that's where you have to start setting some boundaries. What will I live with? What won't I live with? What can I, what can I do about this? And what I, what can't I do about this? So if it's financial, then it might be, wow, He's not willing to listen. He's not willing to hear me. He's spending gobs of our money. I might have to consult with a lawyer and see what those steps are. Or maybe he's not putting us in the poorhouse, but I might need to go back to school to make sure 
that I'm educated. If I have to leave this, if it gets worse, I might have to work. I might have to support myself. I might have to support our kids. I want to make sure I'm prepared and able to do that. So I better start training for that. Or I might start saving money on my own to have a little bank account. If I have to hire a lawyer, I might do some part-time work on the side to have the money to use for the things that I think are important. There's all kinds of ways that you can work on that problem. So the question you need to ask is, once you've talked to him about his problem and you're getting crickets, he's not willing to change. He's not willing to talk. He's not willing to work on it. In fact, he gets more secretive. Then the next step is for you to say, what's my problem with his problem? I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Well, then work on that problem because you can't fix his problem. You talk to him about it. He's not willing to look at it. So now what's your problem? I'm scared. I'm scared that I won't know what to do. Get a lawyer and get some advice that way. I'm scared. I don't have enough of skills to get a good job. Well, then get some skills. I'm scared. I have no money in the bank. Well, then get some money in the bank. There's lots of things women can do online, you know, privately, even driving Uber Eats when your kids are at school. You can do that. You can do some things to get some money in the bank for yourself so that you're not feeling as scared and as vulnerable to someone who's out of control. The woman I talked about earlier, whose husband took all of their money and put it in another account. That's exactly what she had done because I asked her like, how are you making it? She said, I planned ahead and she had a side job and she squirreled it away before she separated. So she does have some money and then she's staying with various people. And so she does have a plan. And I think what you're saying is so important that women may feel like you don't have choices, but you really do. You might not like all your choices. And I think that's where we get stuck. Like, why should I have to do that if only he would change? Well, you're right. If only he would change, you tried that. It's not, it's not in your power to get him to change. So then what do you need to do about his problem? How's his problem affecting you? What's your problem with his problem. And that's the, that's the gold. That's the gold when you start asking that question, because now you can't take responsibility for his problem. You can care about his problem, but you can't take ownership of his problem. Only he can do that. You can't control what he spends. You can't control what he puts in his mouth. You can't control how he thinks or what he does unless you tie him up and keep him a prisoner, which is not your legal right to do, but you can begin to say, all right, he's not willing to change. So what's my problem with his problem? And if I can begin to think about that, then I can begin to think of solutions or ways to solve my problem. And that gives you your power back. Even if you're hurt that the marriage is going down the tubes, you're not going down the tubes because now you have your power back to begin to do something on your own behalf in a good way. Before we go, Leslie, talk about the impact of financial abuse, both practically and emotionally to a woman's well-being. Any kind of abuse has an impact to a woman's well-being, but I think financial abuse can be a little bit more sneaky and subtle because I think some women grow up with a fantasy that I just want Prince Charming to come and take care of me and I can just do what I want. I can be the wife and the mom and fix my house up and do what I want to do and homeschool and, you know, and I can do what I love to do and I don't have to worry about that stuff. But the truth is, and this is the hard truth, ladies, and you may not want to hear this, but the very definition of an adult is that you are capable of taking care of yourself. That's why when you reach 18 or 21, your parents want you to out of the house. <laughs> they want you to move <laughs> out because they, they think they've done their job and hopefully they have, and that you are now capable of taking care of yourself. And that's true for men and women. 
little boys, when they're asked, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? If a little boy ever said, all I want to be is a daddy and a husband, they would chuckle and they would say, yeah, but what else do you want to do? When a little girl says that, they're like, oh, so good. Yeah, you just want to be a mommy, don't you? So they're never pushed to say, it's great to be a mommy. It's great to be a wife. But if you never marry or you marry someone who's someone you didn't think he was, how are you going to take care of you? How are you going to take care of your kids? And so I think the, the the advice that I would tell every woman here is that financial abuse is so sneaky because you want you want the fantasy. You want to be able to stay home. You want to be able to take care of your kids. You want to be able to homeschool or whatever you want to do. And you're mad that that's not reality. But healthy people live in reality, not fantasy. And so this is your wake up moment to say, wow, I'm not prepared to be a full adult. I want to be a mom and I want to be a, a, a housewife and I want to do all the fun things or hard things that that entails, but I'm not prepared to take care of them financially if he should flip out and spend all our money. And so that's my work. That's my work. That's not my choice. That's my work to do, to be prepared so that if our marriage ends, I am capable of being on my own. And I think that's a, a message I would love to share with every woman that um, is young or old that, you know, if you're an older woman and you haven't done that, don't beat yourself up. We were taught, I'm an older woman. I wasn't career minded or taught to have a career. What kept me in my, I did have a career, but it was mostly default. What kept me in my career is the first year of my first pregnancy. We found out that my husband was uh, sick with cancer and I thought, oh my gosh, I always have to make sure I can work. So that was always in the back of my mind. Had I not had that, I might have given up my license and just been home, been home. Right. That was my culture, homeschool my kids or all of that. That was the culture then. So don't beat yourself up. But what I am saying to you as an older woman, make sure your daughters understand that th this is a different world. And this is, we can't trust that we can live out the storyline that the that the churches have told us is God's ideal. And in fact, when you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, she was pretty resourceful. Yes. She had her own money. She made her own decisions. She had her own life. She was a wife and a mom, and she did that very well. But she also had all kinds of other things going on in the fire. And so don't think that the biblical woman has to be this stay-at-home person who just does this. That's not true. The Bible doesn't describe women that way. In fact, it describes, if you look at all the strong women in the Bible that are heroes, they all did lots of bold, great things, even as wives and moms. So I just want to encourage you as you're listening to this, if you're in financial abuse, don't close your eyes. I know sometimes reality is painful, but it gives you information. So if you found a lump on your breast today, that would be scary, but you would need more information. And I hope you wouldn't just close your eyes and say, oh, I'm not going to think about it. I hope that you would go get the next piece of information. Is this benign or is this cancerous? Because that helps you make your next decision. And you can't make the next decision without the right information. And so I would just encourage you to, if you sense financial mismanagement or recklessness in the finances, get the facts, learn what's going on, and then make your next right choice. Thank you so much, Leslie. Do you want to pray for women that are in a difficult financial situation? Sure. Well, Lord, we live in a land of abundance and we see people around us who are thriving financially, maritally, 
emotionally and we're feeling kind of jealous and kind of stuck and kind of angry. It's hard to even admit that, but we can't fix something we won't look at or see or admit. Lord, help us not to stay in the why. Why is this happening to me? Why won't he change? Why won't he hear me? Why won't he fix this? Help us not to stay in the why because it never takes us to a good ending. Lord, help us to move into the what. What do I need to do to take care of me and my family? What do I need to do? What do I need to learn? How do I need to grow through this so that I might be the person in the moment like Esther, like Deborah, even in my marriage, even in my family, it might not make a history book, but I do need to grow into the moment. Help me not to resist that by being afraid. Help me to trust you and put my brave on even when I am afraid. Lord, I pray for these women that they would be willing to see be willing to hear, be willing to look, and then take the appropriate steps that they need to do to get healthy, safe, and strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Leslie and I want to encourage you to set aside just a little more time on December 5th, either noon or 7.30 Eastern, for a free workshop where she will teach you how to move from living in breakdown to experiencing breakthrough. Even in the midst of difficult relationships and brutal circumstances, you have choices. Make the first one now by going to leslievernick.com forward slash story to reserve your spot at this workshop. It will make a difference in your life. Until next time, may God bless all of your relationships with Him, with yourself, and with others.